electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Wall Street's top regulator, SEC Chair Gary Gensler. I count myself as pro-innovation, but I think that we also need rules of the road. Automobile came along 100 plus years ago, and if we didn't have rules of the road, Detroit wouldn't have been able to sell those automobiles. Those good factory jobs wouldn't have been created. So, crypto traders, you've been warned. Buckle up. Satoshi Nakamoto's innovation, if it's going to meet its potential, needs to come within public policy frameworks. And the New York scene just got more exclusive. The latest access pass, proof of vaccination. There's big incentives that are being offered and other places are just saying, you got to have it happen or you're not going to be allowed to come in. Those stories plus COVID lockdowns in China, again, preventing eviction here at home and a new Olympic event getting emotional about New Jersey. Maybe it was, uh, I had something in my eye. I'm not sure what it was. It's Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. New York City becoming the first U.S. city to require proof of vaccination for things like indoor dining, gyms and movie theaters. Mayor Bill de Blasio saying it was a move intended to put pressure on people to get vaccinated. It's time for people to see vaccination as literally necessary to living a good and full and healthy life. Not everyone's going to agree with this. I understand that. But for so many people... This is going to be the life-saving act. The spread of the Delta variant has driven New York daily cases to more than 1,300. That's about six times the number back in June. President Biden praised that move and said other cities should follow New York's lead. So uh, a lot going on in New York. And uh, we will see now whether other businesses also follow that lead in addition to potentially cities. Separately, the FDA has accelerated its timetable to fully approve the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Multiple reports saying now the agency is aiming to complete that process by the start of next month. In a statement, the FDA said its leaders recognized that approval might inspire more public confidence and had taken an all-hands-on-deck approach to that work. A number of universities, hospitals, government agencies, major cities are expected to mandate the vaccine once it is fully approved. So, uh... A lot of things moving very fast uh, on the vaccine front right now. Getting weird, too. What, Tyson uh, wants to have all employees, but the union's yep. pushing back. So, And we had that story yesterday, uh, Andrew, with when, right at the top of the show with the uh, some of the, the teachers union, local teachers union, the, not, not wanting it. The yeah. carrot and stick approach. I mean, you saw Vanguard offering $1,000 to, to employees who actually get vaccinated by October. There's... Uh, big incentives that are being offered and other places are just saying you got to have it happen or you're not going to be allowed to come in. It seems pretty clear that where we're having problems, it's it's concentrated in the unvaccinated. And yeah. in, in, in the UK, what what are, are they way above us and in, in vaccinated? Are they in, like full, not, in full vaccinations. Yeah. 
Yeah, yep. they're like 90% or something, and they're, they're staying open, and it's the, the Delta variant is not the same issue there. So, I mean, it's, it's, doesn't, it's not rocket surgery. We also had, you know, we, Tyson on one side, but then we had Ed Bastian, you know, from, from Delta on the other. He had an opportunity. He could decide yeah, that he, he wants to mandate these He said it's not things. fully approved, right? I mean, these guys, they all, you know, there is, I guess, some implicit liability if it's just mandated under an emergency use authorization instead of full FDA approval? Is, is Andrew, that... I think yours is a tougher question, though. It's one thing to require your employees because you're paying them. I think it's a, a bigger lift to require yeah. your, your customers who, who come in, particularly if the other airlines don't do it. You'd be potentially putting yourself at a disadvantage. You see it in New York City where well, the public health authorities can say you've got to show proof of vaccination before you can go into a restaurant or into a gym or into a concert. Right. But it, it, so, it's probably a lot to ask of somebody to say I'll that you can't have any customers. I'll take the other side of it. I think that if Delta or one particular airline were to go first, they would actually get more people coming on their plane who are vaccinated, meaning you'd, you'd actually fill up the planes because it would become a competitive advantage. At some point, the competitive advantage would disappear because hopefully others would do the similar things. But I think actually right now, look, there are people who are planning just to go to Danny Meyer's indoor restaurants when he, would, when he announced he was doing it before all of New York City was doing it because they knew if they were going to eat indoors, everybody else was vaccinated. So my, my point is just I'm, that you, you don't I, even have all companies country, agree that they should have their, their employees vaccinated. It's a, it's a much higher level, I think, to say that you're, you're going to make sure that all of your customers are vaccinated. It's just a, it's a bigger lift. I'd, I'd like to see every company tell employees they've got to be vaccinated I think there's first. a great business case to be made. I, I think there's a great business. I think if Uber did it and Lyft didn't, um, you know, I think that Uber would have more success because there'd be well, more these people crappy who little cards. Take, one take of my cards. cards, one of my cards has has handwritten like gobbledygook on it, and it's yeah. supposed well, to be. Right. I mean, it, it's, I, and I, by I, the way, you I, can buy those cards on Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> I could literally get one of those, dude. So well, that's why be, the truth is, and this, now we get into a privacy issue. But you know, in the state of New York, there's an app. I think we've shown it on the air now. It's called the New York Excelsior app, which has effectively a QR code. And when you put your information in, it effectively tracks and checks to see whether you actually were vaccinated. And so I think we're going to move towards something that's much more like that when? than we are well, towards nothing the happening yet on, on anything like that. That's why I don't understand the proof. Yeah. How do you prove it with this little? Well, no, no. In New York, they they're, that's what they're that's what in they're the moving city. to. They, they built this app with IBM yeah. about a couple months ago now, uh, maybe back in March. And um, I think what's going to start to happen is you're going to see uh, stores and gyms and others actually start to use it in a meaningful way. China is facing pockets of COVID resurgence in some major cities from Beijing to Wuhan. Authorities have imposed mass testing and widespread travel restrictions in some areas. China officials confirmed 96 new cases today, the third straight day above 90. The new measures are raising concerns of a potential for a strict government clampdown uh, on uh, movements, and that could hurt the economy on moving around. Mm -hmm. uh, the city of Beijing imposed entry and exit controls on Sunday, and Wuhan City uh, plans to test all of its residents for COVID. 90 cases? <laughs> right. 1.4 billion people, really? They got the, could it, Maybe it's 91. Maybe 92. Nothing, not, not more than 92, though, I don't think. No idea. The CDC now issuing a new eviction ban for the next 60 days. I want to get straight over to Eamon Javers, who joins us with more on that. Good morning to you, Eamon. 
Yeah, good morning to you, Andrew. Renters will have a little bit of additional time here in order to get their payments together. Take a look at what we know here about this CDC order yesterday. It's very targeted. So that's at least part of the argument why it's a legitimate thing for the CDC to do. They're saying that evictions for failure to make rent could be detrimental to public health. The order is going to expire on October 3rd, so you don't have all that much time, just about 60 days here. Uh, it applies in counties that are experiencing high levels of community transmission, so it is just targeted to those specific areas, and it allows additional time, the administration says, for rent relief to reach renters and to further increase vaccination rates. All of this comes after Congresswoman Cori Bush uh, began sleeping outside on the Capitol steps on Friday in order to call it attention to the potential homelessness problem that would result from uh, lifting the existing uh, eviction moratorium, which expired over the weekend. I'm, I'm dirty. I'm sticky. I'm sweaty. I still have on what I had on last night. This is how people will have to live if we don't do something. Seven million people, six million, 11 million, how many ever it is, they deserve their human dignity and they deserve for the people that are paid to represent them to show up and do the work to make sure that they have their basic needs met today. That campaign on the Capitol steps overnight, uh, getting a lot of attention in the media uh, and really putting pressure on the Biden administration from their political left wing in order to take this step. Not everybody is pleased with this, of course. The uh, landlords, uh, those are the folks who are going to have to eat the costs in the short term. The National Association of Home Builders putting out a statement yesterday saying this is the wrong way to go about all this. They say state and local governments should be putting more effort into connecting renters with federal funds designed to help them make their payments. The federal government has provided billions of dollars for this purpose. And of course, Andrew, one of the problems here is that a lot of the rental aid that's been in the various aid bills that have passed up on Capitol Hill hasn't actually made its way to renters yet due to bureaucratic log jams and delays. So uh, that's one thing that the uh, National Association here would like to see happen is get that right. money out to renters, let them pay their landlords and let the economy get back to a more of a state of normal. So what's in terms of, of getting that money to those renters, what's the timeline look like at this point? Well, the Biden administration says that they are going to push for that to happen. And they say the 60 day window will allow time for some of that money to go out. And, and they're saying that, you know, over that period of time, more renters they are not saying everybody, but more renters right. uh, will be able to get aid if they need it. Uh, and, and we'll see. We'll see whether that uh, that works out. It's been a, a process. It's been are you a little bit stuck. are you hate, are you uh, hearing we'll anything behind the scenes, Eamon, from the banks in terms of those that are effectively providing no. the loans to the landlords? I mean, it, right. Th this is the this is the full trickle. And I, I'm curious whether the banks are saying anything. Yeah one way or the other, or, or is it better just to, to stay yeah, mom at this I, point? I haven't talked to them about it yet, and I haven't seen what their statements have been, so I, I can't tell you for sure. But yeah, I mean, whenever you do anything like this, Andrew, there, somebody's picking up the tab on this, right? I mean, money is not free. Uh, the renters don't have to pay it in the short term. So the pain goes to the landlords, and then, as you say, to the banks. Right. Uh, in theory, all of that will be worked out once this aid comes through once the moratorium is lifted uh, and we get this economy back into a more of a normal situation. But we're just not there yet. And, you know, it, it feels a little bit to me, you know, anytime you extend any kind of extraordinary aid into the economy, you do have political problems pulling it back. I mean, we saw the same thing with the Fed and the taper tantrum years ago, right? I mean, when you put that kind of assistance into the economy and then you decide you're going to taper it off, people say, oh, wait a second, we're used to this now. Whether it's markets right. or renters, you have the same dynamic playing out here. Okay. Amy Javers in Washington this morning. Thank you. Appreciate it.
Guys, the Olympics, it's very few times. I mean, Andrew, you cry. I, I'm not a crier, but I, on the way in this morning, I, I, I definitely, maybe it was, uh, I had something in my eye. I'm not sure what it was, but it can bring out moments that are so amazing. Of emotion, of emotion. Of emotion. Here's this, yeah. this kind of thing, Super Sydney. All right, I, I love the United States, but I also love New Jersey. She went to my son's high school. She was a oh, senior, wow. Union Catholic. She went to Union Catholic. Uh, she, was, she was 17 in Rio at the Olympics, the youngest track and field uh, athlete since 1972 to do that. So she won the gold and just watching it happen this way. And if you haven't, you know, it's in the papers. Don't blame me for letting you know uh, that this happened, okay? Because it did. But um, father and mother, both runners. Uh, I think her dad was in the Olympics. And she was the first already to break 52 seconds in the 400-meter uh, hurdles. And then both her and Delilah Muhammad from Queens both uh, set world records, gold <laughs> and silver, both for the United States. And that was, uh, man, it was amazing. Big, uh, I didn't go to one, but watch parties down at the high school, down at Union Catholic, the Vikings. But Darren everybody was, an, it was anticipating watching this. And pretty amazing when someone's totally local from where I live, that's Scotch Plains, does something yep. like this, Darren, isn't it? Darren and Ravel said that she may be the most marketable of all the Olympic athletes coming out of this, that he couldn't believe Nike didn't pick her up. She got picked up by, by she got beat out by, Maybe it was New Balance or somebody, I forget who, but another, another shoe company swooped in. He said he was shocked to see New the Balance. Nike let her go. No, it's New was Balance. it New Balance? Yeah, yeah. And, and that she may be the very most marketable employee or, or athlete that you have coming out of the Olympics. Yeah, she, uh, go Sid, go. <laughs> S-Y-D is, is her, her Twitter feed, but it was great. It was awesome. Up next. Crypto's Wild West about to be tamed? The Securities and Exchange Commission will regulate the cryptocurrency market as much as it can. SEC Chair Gary Gensler joins us. Bitcoin and the hundreds of other coins that investors are trading in is a speculative asset class. And if people want to take risk, that's all right. But what we want to do is provide them some of the basic protections against fraud and manipulation. Squawk Pod will be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Up track, stand Joe by. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Big story, Andrew, today. Crypto, Gensler, regulation, really important interview. Good luck. Here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> Joining us right now exclusively, 
talk about the new, some new ideas about crypto regulation, the rise of retail investors, SPACs, meme stocks, and so much more. SEC Chair Gary Gensler. Mr. Chairman, thank you for joining us this morning. Great to see you. Uh, you just gave a speech all about um, cryptocurrency and, and your intention uh, to protect investors. And I want to drill down directly into what that means, because I think that there's a, a lot of people, uh, both in the investor community and the policy world, that want to understand the details of that. You said uh, in that speech that this asset class is rife with fraud, scams, and abuse. And I want to understand exactly, exactly what you would like to do. So, Andrew, it's good to be with you. Look, we're an investor protection uh, agency. And right now, this asset class, Bitcoin and the hundreds of other coins that investors are trading in, is a speculative asset class. And if people want to take risk, that's all right. But what we want to do is provide them some of the basic protections against fraud and manipulation. The trading platforms they're on are not currently under a, a, a regulatory regime that protects them like they're trading on the New York Stock Exchange. It just isn't. And I think those are gaps. And I think that's not good for investors. And I don't think it's good for the technology. So what has to happen? Do laws need to change? Do you have the authorities that you need? It's a great question. We have robust authorities. And in some places, it's pretty clear. Many of these tokens, just given how they were uh, issued and sold and so forth, come under the securities laws. It's a facts and circumstances situation. But then on the trading platforms, as well as the lending platforms, uh, many of those are standing astride uh, regulation. Now, if they're trading securities, They've got to come in and I'm encouraging them to come in and let's talk to them. Let's have a frank discussion. But many of them right now are trying to stay, you know, dealing with their lawyers and trying to say, we're, well, well, we're not going to come in. And that doesn't really make good sense for the markets. Now, Congress, we're going to also work with Congress to see if we can fill gaps in the authorities. When you say you want to work with Congress and fill in these gaps, what are the, what are the authorities that you don't think you have? that you think you need to have in order to ensure this idea of investor protection? I think that the most critical thing is around where we, the public, can go to trade or we, the public, might lend this crypto on a platform. And if the platform has both securities, which many of these tokens are, but also commodities on the same platform, how to deal with that, how to deal with uh, along with our sibling agency, one that I was honored to chair, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and stitching that a little bit together because some of these platforms have both commodities and securities. You, you just described some crypto as securities. Um, other yeah, SEC many, chairs many, many tokens are. have not. Um, which ones do you think of as securities? And which ones do you think of more in either a commodity basket or some other kind of asset basket? You know, I, I, Andrew, I hate for your viewers to uh, keep going back to this, but it's pretty clear. And the Supreme Court has actually spoken about this many times. Um, if, if somebody is raising money, selling a token and the buyer is, is anticipating pros, profits based on the efforts of that group, the sponsor, the seller, that fits into something that's a security. And I'm not gonna to go token by token. You can imagine why I wouldn't do that. But my predecessor, Jay Clayton, who you have on the show often, 
Jay said it best about three years ago that he really hadn't seen many tokens that didn't meet that securities test. In the balance between regulation on one end and innovation on the other, where do you think you lie? Uh, because I think that there's, a, there's a, a large question in this country about where the United States is going to stand long term uh, when it comes to crypto and crypto innovation. You spent uh, three years teaching classes about crypto, so you're an expert in this topic. I'm very pro-innovation. I think it helps the economy grow. I think more people get access to finance and access to good medicine, access to good jobs. I think uh, I wouldn't have gone to MIT. I've been a professor there for three years at the intersection of finance and technology among some of the world's remarkable experts at MIT. Um, so I count myself as pro-innovation, but I think that we also need rules of the road. Automobile came along 100 plus years ago, and if we didn't have rules of the road, Detroit wouldn't have been able to sell those automobiles, those good factory jobs wouldn't have been created, those good union jobs wouldn't have been created. Right. Without rules of the road, the people had confidence and trust in the automobiles. Similarly, we need trust in markets and trust in finance. This innovation, Satoshi Nakamoto's innovation, uh, if it's gonna meet its potential, needs to come within public policy frameworks. Mr. Chairman, what do you say to those crypto proponents who say that the reason we we like crypto is because in some ways it's anti-government. It, it's effectively trying to live outside of the world of regulation. We actually don't want you to regulate it because that that actually is part of what gives it its value. It's almost a self-regulating um, currency. Look, it's 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 part of this remarkable story. It's foundation story of Satoshi Nakamoto. We don't even know she, he, or they who they are. It was a little off the grid libertarian movement to have a private form of money. And we've had private monies and public monies in the past. Private monies generally fail over centuries. That part of it is okay. And in fact. It's brought a lot of change. It's a catalyst to central banks around the globe to think about new payment systems and new approaches to money. But at the same time, we want to ensure that we guard against uh, money laundering. We want to guard against terrorists and the ransomware. Bitcoin is used inside of ransomware, the colonial pipeline circumstance of this spring that we all lived through. So I think we can achieve both. Um, so I'm pro-innovation, but I'm also pro the basic policy norms of investor protection, guarding against illicit activity, financial stability. And where do you land on the prospect of a Bitcoin ETF? This has been a, a long running question. Lots of folks have come to you and to this agency over the last several years now trying to uh, get a, an ETF approved. What would it take well, we already have some funds in the in the uh, crypto space, Bitcoin, uh, the largest, been around for about seven years. It's not an ETF, but it's uh, been around. It's over $20 billion in size. And we have some mutual funds in this space as well that are investing in Bitcoin futures from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So I would anticipate there'll be some filings in that regard. And I look forward to looking at staff and their review of uh potentially some ETF filings around investing in Bitcoin futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange around what we call in aircraft, the 1940 Act. I want to also talk to you about disclosure and, and maybe it relates to 
the function of memes, meme stocks, but crypto I, I probably comes under this as well. You now have a whole new generation of, uh, of investors going on TikTok, going on Reddit, going on all sorts of other places, promoting either a cryptocurrency or promoting a stock. Where, where does the SEC see their role in that conversation? I think it's, it's the same it's, it's been for decades. It's trying to foster good debate and dialogue, uh, just, just like on this program here, uh, about uh, investing. And the retail engagement is, is positive, um, but also to guard against fraud and manipulation. And whether that's from big actors, big hedge funds in the markets, um, uh, or not. And also to promote transparency. We are taking a real close look at market structure. And uh, I recently started a, you know, uh, engaging on Twitter and to some of those Twitter followers that are writing about dark pools. We are looking very closely at this market structure that so many of our orders, retail public orders, are not going to the lit markets, but are going to internalizers, going to wholesalers, we're taking the retail public's trades rather than sending them to the stock exchanges. Hey, hey Gary, I, nothing. You're, you're SEC chair. Sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to get no, too you familiar. Can, either works. Either works. Uh, I'm watching uh, Bitcoin, and and I, I'm not tying it to anything that you're saying, but I got to tell you that having a, a regulator or a government official just that knows what he's talking about in a calm manner, uh, it, 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 I think it's helping allay some fears that you turn on the light when you look into an abyss. But my question is, you're a professor. You know how to teach people. Did you ever think of, of maybe, I don't know, just sending out an email to some of your uh, colleagues in, in D.C., whether it be at the Fed or in Congress or wherever, and just saying, hey, I'm going to give a little seminar on what crypto actually is. Have you thought about doing that? Because I see things <laughs> from people in a position to do things that show a almost a zero lack of understanding of what we're dealing with here. Well, why don't you offer to do that, to, to educate some of, uh, some of your associates down in, that, in D.C.? Well, you're, you're kind. I learn every day from talking to my uh, colleagues. Well, you learn what I don't know. Let, let me just say, I've had wonderful one-on-one -on -one discussions with both senators and members of the House, sometimes in group sessions. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to share, but I, I compliment Senators those that have asked for, for this, or to Fed, discussion on crypto. Fed chairs, Treasury secretaries, senators, all, 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 all everywhere then. Uh, uh, Secretary Yellen convened a terrific meeting where we talked about stable value coins and my colleagues, uh, 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 Chair Powell was in the room and, and uh, uh, Yellen and McWilliams and uh, Chair Benham. I mean, we were there, the president's working group. We had a really uh, engaged uh, discussion that she chaired. All right. There's hope. Well, I wanted to ask you two, two other quick questions uh, while we still have you. Uh, one relates to retail investors. And uh, one of the conundrums that we've, we've seen now over the last several weeks and months um, is that they don't seem to vote when it comes to governance. It becomes, it's become a very challenging circumstance. So you have a real agency problem. And I'm thinking, by the way, of Adam Aaron not being able to get enough votes from his AMC shareholders, the apes, and then Lucid needing extra time to get uh, its shareholder vote for its SPAC. Do you think of that as a problem? I think of it as shareholder democracy, that, that we, the owners of companies, I mean, in my current role, I'm not voting any shares, but we, the, the shareholders of corporate America, 
have to be able to engage and, and, and do that in a way that's, uh, of course, efficient and effective uh, to express our views. So I, I do think about it a lot, and staff is making recommendations about our uh, both the, but the problem proxy is plumbing and on the shareholder voting. But how concerned are you the fact that people just don't vote? I mean, by the way, which is a feature of democracy, but, but maybe a problem in the context of a business. So it's, what we're looking at is both making it more efficient, and some of that is on the proxy plumbing side and something that's called universal proxy, making it a little easier to compare uh, uh, the votes and, and so forth and the, the ballots. Um, uh, but you're right, it, it, to make it more efficient and make it more available. Mr. Chair, we have literally 30 seconds, but very quickly, China, uh, China stocks, you, you, you've come down with some new rules uh, about disclosures. How concerned are you about the books in China and whether they're accurate or not? I, I, I am concerned. I think that um, for 17 years since uh, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley, a bill to reform accounting in America went into being, um, that we have not been able to as Americans through an organization called the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board that we, the SEC, oversee, we have not been able to audit the auditors of Chinese-related issuers. Number two, I'm concerned that the retail public doesn't yet fully understand that most of these companies are not Chinese companies. They're buying a Cayman Islands company that at best has a service arrangement with the real company in China. And those arrangements, those service arrangements, the Chinese authorities have in the last few weeks we've seen it and may in the future just say, you know, we don't really like the way these arrangements are. And so there's a lot of political risk in addition to the accounting and books and records risk you just mentioned. We're looking to wrap here. Mr. Chairman, we appreciate uh, you joining us this morning on so many topics. Hope to talk to you again. Okay, let's go. break. Okay, bye. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. On TV, tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Tweet us at Squawk CNBC. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. So many platforms to choose from. And hey, share this podcast with a friend. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. 
positively FedEx.